All right, everybody, welcome back to the Mindful Hunter podcast. This is episode number 23. I'm your host, as always, Jay Nickel, and I got my good buddy, Tim Winslow, owner of Arizona Trophy Outfitters and an Alaskan guide on today. And we're going to talk kind of everything hunting. I got some questions about Arizona. We got some questions about sheep hunting. And then I kind of want to selfishly use it as an opportunity to get some more info about kind of Tim's background in hunting and how he ended up where he is today. So first of all, Thank you very much for making the time, my friend. Yeah, thanks for having me, Jay. It's good to it's good to see you. You Canadians are locked up tight, man. Bro, I'm <laughs> losing my shit, man. It like we're going into year two of this fucking nonsense. Uh, I got that deer. I can't even get a fucking deer home. Oh, it's brutal. It's brutal. So many people, like my outfitter buddies, are. It's hard, man. Like Dude, we're going into two years in a row uh, with essentially no clients. Oh, it's brutal. Yeah. Cause they, you guys have different, different stuff up there, concessions and di- way different stuff than we do here. And it's tough on those guys. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Yeah. I just did a podcast last week with Clay Lancaster and he owns yeah. Butte Outfitters up on the NWT and they're going to let him at least take Canadians okay. this year, but they wouldn't even let Canadians in there last year. And oh, I can't man. imagine like the overhead, like oh. that place is gigantic, man. And the helicopters and like just yeah. everything he's got going on. It's like, yeah. fuck. Yeah. It's really tough. I mean, in Arizona, are you guys not like you're back to business as usual? Oh, we were, we were the wild west, even when it was going on. Oh, I mean, man. we That's had my kind I, of party. Oh yeah. We had, I think we were leading the world at one point during hunting season at for COVID whatever rates or whatever it was. And yeah. Hunters were calling me. I'm like, no, show up. We'll grab you. (laughs) We're going hunting. (laughs) So yeah, it's been, it was good that way. And we, we actually stayed pretty safe. I had a lot of hunters and we, we did pretty good. So I, I think, you know, just being safe, I, I, it's hunting is a pretty, pretty good thing to do. I mean, the outdoors were pretty hammered with people this year overall, just because everybody was sick and tired of being locked up so there's nothing else to do man so they just instituted this thing in british columbia where i'm not allowed to travel outside of my health authority oh my gosh so where i go bear hunting is about eight hours north and technically if i go to hunt they can give me a 575 dollar fine so i'm just bringing the fucking checkbook it's like try (laughs) motherfucker i'm not turning around like i'm not living in some fucking tyranny if you want to charge me go ahead but it's like and it's like, what? I'm going to go hunt some bears in a field or on a mountain. Yeah. Like, who the fuck am I giving COVID to? Yeah. Anyways. Ugh. Okay, so like I said in the intro, there's like a bunch of stuff I'd like to talk about today. Yeah. Um, oh, and maybe for those of interested, well, I'll give a quick little um, background on how we actually know each other. And then if you want to hop in, just go nuts. So yeah. like I mentioned in the, in, in the intro, Tim's kind of one of his primary occupations is he owns Arizona trophy outfitters and they do. And and you mentioned guiding was different. Maybe this is a good spot. How does the guiding work in, in Arizona, like in British Columbia, people own tenures and they're like, they get X amount of tags per year and they're the only outfitter, but that's not how things work where you're from. Yeah. It's different uh, in every state. Arizona is more, more public land than anything else. So, um, it, it's not across the board. So we don't have landowner tags. We don't have estates or concessions or anything like that. So what we have primarily is we operate under national forest 
BLM. And for those of you that don't know that, maybe, um, like, I don't know if you guys probably don't have uh, BLM in Canada. It's we, everything is public is crown land. So it's okay. the same so thing. Same. We have like three, four different types of public land. So we have BLM, state trust, and national forest. And then there's like national monument stuff in there and some other stuff like that. But yeah, we, we basically operate on a permit basis through these public resources that uh, make sure we're doing everything right. Um, and that's, that's how it works. Now in uh, Wyoming and Colorado, um, New Mexico and parts of Nevada, like you buy, like I have a buddy, uh, Rob Wiley at non-typical outfitters in Wyoming. And he, he buys access. When you buy a camp, you actually have to do it kind of like you guys do in Canada is where you have to buy the rights to public access. Um, which can be very expensive. I know, I know a couple Canadian outfitters. I mean, we're talking multi-million dollar investments to oh, yeah. be able to operate on, on public land. So um, yeah, it's, it's just different everywhere you go. Alaska is a little different too. Um, it's a little bit of both. We have concessions and we also hunt public land. So um, either way, it's just trying to keep the numbers in the right spot. You know, um, if you didn't have that, you, uh, you know, you'd have a lot, a lot more issues, I think on public land, as far as outfitters and guides go. So, right. For sure. Okay. So, so back to the story, I wanted to go hunt coos deer. This is going back three, mm-hmm. three years and a bit. So I looked around, called a bunch of different outfitters, had a conversation with Tim. I was like, okay, he's my kind of guy. Let's go down and, and hunt some coos deer. So I went down the first time. Yeah. It would have been three years ago. Got paired yeah. up with Chad. Yep. The equally crazy guy. That we to, <laughs> yeah. We're both like the weird guys in camp. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so I've been down twice now, got a slammer mule deer last year that will probably still like, that could be an animal of my life. I don't know if I'll ever kill a deer as cool as that one. Like just yeah, that was a, the hunt was, and the rack and like everything yeah. about that deer. That's the shit dreams are made of, man. Yeah. It, it really was a special experience. And um, I know we had talked, Chad is uh, like yourself, very intense. And the whole goal was for you to shoot a coos deer, but Chad was so bent on, he create he has these relationships with animals, whether it's a, a golden eagle that lives on a ridge or it's like this this mule deer buck that he's been watching since like you know early adulthood. Um, he just really wanted to to chase that with you, and um, yeah, that was just a cool deal. Uh, you guys made it happen, and I, I don't think any other pair could have made that happen between you and Chad. So it was neat neat to see you guys succeed. So yeah, I remember getting a text the day before I was supposed to get on the plane, and he's like, "Listen, man." I know you're super into coos deer, but there's this crazy mule deer buck. I yeah. really want to, and I'm like, bro, done. Yeah. yeah. Like you had me a crazy mule deer buck. Like <laughs> yeah. Lots of time for, for coos deer. Anytime. I'm, I'm happy. Yeah. Um, yeah. The so reason cool. I like your outfit so much is that like, I tend to do a lot of DIY stuff. I tend to yeah. do a lot of stuff on my own. I think there's a lot of gain for that, but I think there's yeah. also something to be said for like the fellowship of hunting. And mm-hmm. that's what I always get when I come down with you. Like yeah. every year, I still got guys to today. Like I was just texting with Brian probably yesterday yeah. morning who I met three years ago. Yeah. And it's like, I meet dudes at your camp that I will all talk to for probably the rest of my hunting life. And I don't get that shit 
on, on you know, out doing my own thing. Yeah. It kind of scratches a different itch, yeah. but yes. I like that for what it is. Like, I don't know how you, if it's just your personality, your vibe, but I've never met an asshole in one of your camps. Like there might be dudes that are like a little off, but like there's yeah. no pieces of shit, you know, like everybody's like a yeah. pretty good dude. Yeah. I, I think generally in the hunting and in, hunting industry or world, I, you know, I, I don't really know. I can't, you know, some people come off hand and talk about clients, bad clients. I can't say that I really have had one um, it, that really comes to mind. I think, um, and maybe part of that is because my goal is to have like a hunting, you know, basically have a party every night yeah. for four months with guys that like to hunt and, and uh, share stories and make fun of each other at the end of the day. And so that's kind of, I guess that's my goal. I I'm not like so hell bent on uh, like inches or trophies or anything like that is more if, if guys are laughing and having fun by a campfire, I think that's what they'll take home with them. Um, and that's really what, how I connect with hunting. Like you said, there is a definite place to do things by yourself. And there's experiences that you can't have with other people, um, especially bow hunting, but, um, it's good to have a little bit of both, you know, having, having fellowship and also really just getting out by yourself and doing things too is, is equally as important. So I think the other special thing is it's not an easy hunt. Like you're not going to go down there and pay 15 grand to shoot some 400 inch bull, like this is a difficult, low success rate, arguably yeah. high opportunity, but yeah. low success rate bow hunt. And yep. you have to like hunting. And there's yes. lots of dudes who hunt that I don't think they like the hunting of the hunting. Right. You know? Right. And, but if you go down on that coos hunt, if you didn't know before you got there, you're going to learn real fast yeah. that like, this is a ball buster. The terrain is challenging. The yep. deer are switched on like nothing I've ever seen in my life like yeah yeah and i think that breeds especially like, that's attractive to a certain type of dude and it right is. away mostly decent dudes are into that type of shit yeah i mean yep I, I agree so i'd like to hear a little bit about like your background and we don't have to get too deep but like how did you get to the point where you, where you are today? Like was, was hunting a family thing for you or cause like Arizona is a hunting state, you know? Yeah. But. Yeah. We kind of have I, hunt, people that hunt in Arizona uh, are kind of snobs. I feel like, because it's so hard that those that are successful um, can kind of be a snob about it. Um, but yeah, hunting for me really, um, I, it, it, it happened, uh, through friends really uh i grew up with you know hunting with my dad a little bit but he he only quail hunted we we just bird hunted the bird hunting down in southern arizona is really good and so we just did that so it was actually the initial exposure right so i i believe that hunters and guys that really get into hunting have kind of a natural instinct to hunt because i have three other brothers that could care less about hunting but they were all exposed to the same level i was but the exposure is what created a curiosity. And then um, my dad being a PE teacher, uh, he thought it was a good idea to bring home like a PE bow, you know, uh, what plastic bow they use the girls. And he gave it to me. And that basically started my big game hunting career. Whatever was like, I could kill with a little plastic bow. It was like a 25 pound bow, whether it was like a, a pack rat or rabbits. Um, I had the cops called to me a couple of times with neighbors running with rabbits with arrows stuck in them through their yard and whatever. But that's kind of how it started. And um, I think with anything, 
I just kept wanting to go deeper and deeper and deeper and uh, found a, an old Ben Pearson, 19, like fifties recurve bow. It was a 55 pound bow in my uncle's garage that he, it was all dusty. And he's like, yeah, take it. And then that. Um, the short, the short story, short side of it, I guess, is I took a, I took a job in Alaska in 2012 and really wanted to dive into what was, you know, up there, what you guys have going up in the North country. And for my outfitting guiding career, I basically just started calling anybody and everybody who up there that like, I, I never really knew that guiding was really a career until I, until I was exposed to Alaska. So I, I called a bunch of guys and outfitters and asked them if they needed help. And I didn't ha have any idea uh, what I was doing. And I, one of my buddies called me back, who is now my good buddy. And he gave me an opportunity up there to be a packer and start hunting and guiding. And the, the advantage that I had being from Arizona is I already knew how to spot and stalk. Like that is the definition of Arizona. Like we don't use any, we, that's all we do is spot and stalk primarily. So you can hand me a pair of binoculars and I can go find a bear and then I can be like, yeah, let's use the wind and go kill this thing. I didn't really know how to survive in Alaska because the first three years getting rained on, I felt like uh, like a domesticated like cat. Like I hate to being wet, like completely. It was the worst thing. Um, you picked a yeah, shitty so, place uh, to go guide. Oh yeah. And now it's like, if it's not raining, I'm upset up there. I'm like, if I'm not wet, we're probably not going to kill an animal. So, but that's basically it. I, I, I stepped into that, um, that, uh, world up there in Alaska and guiding in Alaska. And I had a ton of clients ask me about Arizona simultaneously and say, Hey man, what do you guys got down there? Well, I was like, well, shoot, if you want to come hunt mule deer, let's do that. And so I basically started Arizona trophy outfitters from the archery mule deer coos deer have like that art that archery hunt was basically the foundation of my company right. um and you know slowly but surely we're like dude we love hunting coos we started hunting coos and and that's pretty much what we stick to we we stay in a pretty tight lane um i i don't you know people ask me about other stuff i i, I like to stick what we're good at we're good at hunting coos shooting a uh, big elk in certain areas and uh archery hunting because that's what we love to do so but yeah, that's, a, that's the a short of it. And, um, you know, I'm still doing both. So guiding in Alaska and, and outfitting in Alaska too, and taking, um, some of my own guys up there too. So yeah, that's it. So I got some questions about, about Arizona specific. So we'll start down South and then mm -hmm. we'll, we'll kind of move up North, but I don't think a lot of people understand like that, that January hunt is like an over the counter tag. Like right. anybody can go down there and buy one. The guiding is like when you compare it to other options, it is not. I always say it's like the working man's guided hunt. You know, it, it it's is, like yeah. I did the math and it costs a bit more, but not much more than what it would cost me to like go down myself, figure out my own food, figure yeah. out my own transportation. And like if that would be such a nightmare for me being all the way from Canada that for the extra couple bucks to have you take care of it all and just show up to like a setup camp is like yeah. well worth the cost. But maybe talk a little bit about the because people's minds are they're like what you go hunt deer in Arizona how, how do you do that and I'm like right. well it's not even that hard so maybe talk a little bit about just opportunity in general in in Arizona if people are wanting to go hunt what's a good way to kind of get their foot in the door down there 
Yeah, I think, um, you know, the, the over-the-counter opportunities in Arizona are awesome. Um, it, to me, is the best way to hunt deer in Arizona because what, a lot, what we don't have, which so many other states have, is we don't have general over-the-counter rifle hunts. Okay. We, you cannot buy a rifle on over the counter as a general tag, like you can in a lot of States. And we do not have a rut rifle tag for any deer species at all. So that, that takes away all of that. And then what you have is this opportunity in, in middle of December and all of January to hunt deer in the rut with a bow. It's essentially over the counter in most units. They're going to, they're probably going to change a little bit of that stuff up. I, I, I've seen, I've been seeing some updates, so they may change some things or close some units uh, every other year or something, uh, which they've been doing, but the opportunity is awesome to get exposed to uh, like, especially Western hunting. Like you said, like you're not going to wait eight years to draw a tag and go chase deer with a bow here. You're going to come, you're going to see what it's all about. You're going to learn a lot. I really like to like, let people know too, especially I take a lot of guys that have never hunted out West before. It's a great way to get your feet wet because I said, what you're going to learn from our guides, you can apply it to Nevada, Colorado, whatever you want to do. You'll learn the, the tripod glassing, that whole game, the spot stock game that you can do anywhere. And it's the hardest in Arizona 100%. because there's not much cover. So if you, if you can get it dialed in in Arizona, you can go use it and apply it anywhere. So that's kind of the, uh, that to me, that's an advantage being a non-resident or somebody like you that um, it's totally different environment and you're just getting, you know, fully immersed in what we're doing down here. So I also think the time of the year, like what else are you going yeah. to go hunt in January, yeah. man? Like there's nothing yeah. going on. It's perfect. Yeah. That, and glassing for coups will change your entire game. Yeah. Like nothing seems hard. I, there's no other animal I can think of that while you were looking at it spontaneously disappears. Oh yeah. No. Exactly. And you're just like, yeah. And you don't want to blink. Cause it's like, yeah. and then it just like comes back into focus and it's, uh, it's maddening. Yeah. yeah. They're, they're, they're awesome. They're a, an awesome little animal. They have what I consider. It's like the white tail sixth sense. So mule deer are not stupid. I, I don't, I don't like when people say mule deer are stupid because they're not, um, they, they have a different defense mechanism that rely on numbers more. And so white coos, white tail, they, they have the sixth sense that they don't have to see you, smell you or hear you. They can just either drop into a, like a hidden, uh, you know, a, whatever to trap door or, you know, use their camouflage that they use and, and disappear in the shadows and, and just disappear from you. I mean, they'll just, yeah. I mean, and I, I think you experienced that too. Well, they, they'll just get up out of nowhere and just, just sprint out of a bedding area yeah. for no reason. Just they have that extra caginess about them, you know, it makes them fun. So. Yeah. And it's still on my to do, man. Like I'll, I'm not going to be able to rest until. <laughs> yeah. Like, it just, it sticks in my, and I've got like legitimately close yeah. a couple of times. I can remember Chad being so pissed off, man. He's like, yeah. he's 30 feet away. He's yeah. standing up. He's right. In front. I'm like, bro, I, I can't see shit, man. Oh, it's like dude. on the other side, it was like some mesquite or something. I'm like, I, he could be 10 feet away. I don't fucking know, man. Like, I'm yeah. sorry. I, I, I can't see the fucking deer, bro. <laughs> if you've been on a radio with me or Chad or somebody else and you, and you didn't have to go into therapy afterwards, <laughs> after a yeah. week, that's a plus. That means you're very, you're, you're ready to, you know, level up again because uh, me and Chad 
and a couple of my other guides. I mean, radios get intense, as you know. Yeah. Um, and both ways too. Like the day before we killed my mule deer, like shit got heated because yeah. I was going on like failed stock after failed stock. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, motherfucker, you're just sending me all over hell's half acre. Like, can we like be strategic and maybe yeah. some of these like not go on? But the thing I love about Chad and, and he knows me, like that's yeah. the only reason, like I will not stop. And it's like, I might've been pissed off, but I'm just venting. Yeah. But I remember saying to him like, dude, I can't just keep like, and it was like, I wasn't even getting close. I'd get like, like 300 yards and they would just, Oh, I'm just going to take a left turn now and just walk wow. way off on the horizon. And you're just like, I just spent an hour and a half getting all the way over here, looking at my oh, setup. And then they just randomly just the, the whims of the, yeah, man. Yeah. Okay, so I don't want to spend a lot of time talking premium units in AZ because, to be honest, yeah. I think the topic is, like, overly covered. If yeah. you know what you're doing, it's smart to build points and wait a decade yeah. and go in for something cool. Great. Mm-hmm. Go listen to Jay Scott's podcast. He goes right. insanely in-depth on, on that shit. Yeah. And I think that the takeaway is, and I highly recommend it, even for the DIY guys, go guided your first AZ user yeah. mule deer hunt. Because what you're going to learn that first year, and don't be a dick and go back to the same area, but what you're going to learn in glassing techniques and how to cover ground and like where to glass from in that first year, even if you decide to do something on your own after that is going to be well worth it. And you're probably going to come to the same conclusion I came to that it's just the logistics are simpler. And because it's not a crazy expensive hunt, you're better off just going with somebody. Yeah. And that's, that's really what we try to do, honestly, is, is we try to teach people. I think um, that's part of being a guide. Uh, you, you naturally want to help people and teach people. So, and, and it's actually evolved into like our counter, uh, like a little, a sister operation that we're running right now, which is drop camp hunting, because we have these guys that we've taught and they've learned the areas and they know, and they understand how to do this. But they still need like they, they love the way we set things up. They and and they want to have a, a little bit of a scouting option ready to roll. And so I'm like, yeah, Arizona is made for guys that want to get out and rock and roll by themselves because there is so much opportunity that doesn't take a lot of points to. So that's what we do on, on for some of our hunters that have hunted with us a few years. We say they're like, hey, um, we want to hunt over here. Can you, you know, set us up and, and tell us where to go. And, you know, and some guys don't, they're just young guys are like, Hey man, what do you got? I'm like, I'll, I'll get you dialed in to an area and have it all scouted and ready to roll for you guys because there's only so many hunters we can take. I mean, realistically. Um, and that's what I try to tell people too. You know, a lot of our guys, I mean, half of our hunters, you know, are, are like retired guys. Like yeah. they, they don't, they, they need a guide in more ways than one, you know, for safety foremost and, um, and just helping them along. But, it, you know, you can hit the ground running, you go on a guided hunt and then go do it yourself. It's, it's a good option, man. It, it really is. Yeah. Um, okay. So let's, let's go up North a little bit. Let's talk about, um, the type of animals you guide for and what hunting up looks and obviously selfishly for, Anybody who listens to this podcast, they realize that I'm doing my first sheep hunt this year. Yeah, and yeah. while I'm interested in everything we're talking about, the real reason you're here right yeah. now is so I can pick your brain about sheep. But yeah, I've gotten a ton that. of questions about this other stuff, and I wouldn't be doing my job if we didn't cover, su- cover some of it. Yeah. So let's 
let's talk Alaska. What you guide up there, um, the outfit that you're with and, and all that kind yeah. of stuff. Yeah. So in, in Alaska, like I said, I've been doing it for like almost 10 years up there. Um, and so started obviously as a packer, then guide. And it, right off the bat, I think my first job as a packer, I was on, you know, in the Alpine packing sheep out, like, you know, guiding moose um, as a packer. So the very, I cut my teeth basically in the guide world on sheep hunting. That's, that's how it started for me. And uh, so right now I, my, I have a good buddy who's an outfitter up there, Eric Salatan. He, he runs Bushwhack Alaska. And um, so he's who I work with a lot. And I basically guide some hunts for him and then take my own clients as kind of a boutique outfit. So guys that have hunted with me and really want to, I, I am outfitted. I'm a registered guide up there, but I specifically take guys that know me and hunt with me and want to hunt with me. And I, and, and that I'm, I'm more expensive because of that, but that's all I really want to do. I want to kind of handpick my guys that want to do these really, you know, relatively expensive hunts up there and just have a really good time. So that's kind of what we're doing up there. And we do, you know, the doll sheep season, cause we'll start with sheep st- basically rolls, you know, starts August 10 and goes through the end of September for the most yeah. of it. So that's what we do every year. And sheep hunting is such a love hate relationship. It is the worst. It is the best and the worst that you've ever experienced on a hunt. I mean, it's, it's, uh, but it, it definitely helps you, uh, streamline what you're doing and how you do it. And, makes you realize what you need and don't need, you know, in a, in a, like a very primitive primal way, I guess. Um, so, but yeah, so, uh, before we d- deep dive into sheep hunting, um, you know, we do moose hunting, brown bear hunting, all that stuff. We, we do all that stuff and, you know, it's, it's pretty epic. I mean, some of those moose and some of those brown bears that come out, I'm getting my crap packed up right now. I'm going to leave in, in two days to go brown bear guiding. And it's, it's going to be pretty epic. These bears are giant bears and it's, it's one of those things you got to be ready for mentally before you step into it. And more so than like a, you know, coos deer. Um, yeah, but yeah. So are you, let's, let's, let me ask you a question. What are you specifically, what's your sheep hunting situation looking like? Like what is your, what's your plan? Yeah. So, so, so here's the deal. So I'm going with two guys. Um, we've met and hung out a couple times now. Um, we've never hunted together. The one guy has been on six hunts, but has never taken a sheep. The other guy has been on one other sheep hunt, but never taken a sheep. Younger guys, mid, mid, mid twenties. Okay. Um, but good guys, like they, they get after it. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, and we're flying in. Um, I can say Northeast Rockies. That's not, right. you know, that's kind yeah, of yeah. where the, most of the over-the-counter it's stone yeah. sheep that we're going in for. Okay. So we're going in for it'd be 12 days total. So probably 10 hunting days in the middle. Yeah. And like pretty what you would basically expect. Like we're getting dropped off in the heart of the Rockies. We have some decent intel from kind of reliable sources that the general area that we're going in and a couple ridges in particular have been known to hold sheep in the not too distant past so we feel like we're basically on the right track and then we're doing the typical like 
full on backpack hunt, you know, maybe leave a couple extra things down at the strip, but basically right. plan to do a big giant loop. And yes. not, you know, if we, if we end up tagging out and have to come drop some stuff off at the strip, great. But other than that, we're not going to come back until we see the plane or until we're, we're, we're either out of time or, or tags are filled. The kind right. of side benefit, it's also a really good um, elk area and elk open for our second week. Um, okay. But it's more like, listen, if we're walking out and something happens to be yeah. around, like yeah. priority is sheep 100%. And we're all going like pretty well set up. Like everybody's going to have good glass. Everybody's going to have their own tent and set up. So we haven't talked about a lot with the other guys yet, but I think there'll probably be some splitting up going on just because it doesn't make yeah. sense to me at least to have three sets of eyeballs looking at the same face every day. Is there anything else I'm leaving out? Or does that give you like the general? Oh, yeah, that's, that's good. That's I just knowing numbers and, and those things. That's, that sounds like a good idea just from a, you know, hopefully you guys are successful standpoint because, you know, you guys can keep hunting, you know, yeah. those that, that one guy, whoever shoots the sheep, he can do the, he can do the marathon. I mean, right and get the sheep back to the place and where you guys can still keep hunting. So, um, that's, that's kind of, that's a good, good way to do it. And it's a safety measure. I mean, it's great to have people you hunt with in the Alpine like that. I mean, and we are in Chris country too. So yeah. that was the other thing. And, and we're going to go with, I didn't say this, but it's going to be a rifle hunt. I mean, yeah, someday yeah. I'd like to take a sheep with a bow, but I yeah. think uh, just one step at a time. Right. Right. Yeah. That's, <laughs> Yeah. All those things. I'm like in my mind, as you're talking with three guys, I'm like, all right, so you can leave out like two sets of binoculars, have two rifles. Like, I mean, there's a lot of things that if you never want to leave like your gun, but like, honestly, if I'm going with a couple guys that I know, I mean, there, there's definitely some weight you can cut right now just by. Okay. Uh, Let's hear it. I think that's, we are only, I know we're only taking two rifles because okay. the third guy doesn't have a crazy nice gun. And the other right. guy's a bit of a gun nut. So it kind of works out well that Perfect. I'll bring my 300 and then, yep. and then he's going to bring his. And so there'll be two guns. So there's an, there's an example of something we're doing already. Right. No, that's perfect. Yeah. So leave, leave one gun for sure behind. Um, there's, there's 10 pounds right there, including ammo, depending on, you know, um, yep. you know, optics are not, I mean, it's kind of the same thing. I mean, you don't need three spotting scopes. Right. I would say have everybody have binoculars just because that's, that's, but three spotting scopes might be a little excessive, especially if it's not nice glass. Yeah. Um, you know, you just want the best. It's like um, when you're up there and you're looking through, I'm looking through like my, you know, Swarovski BTX 95, blah, blah, blah. You wish you had like, they, you wish they created something that NASA has something that you're like, yeah. Oh man, I, I you, it, I don't care about weight for glass, like weight right. means nothing because that's the whole reason. That's, that's how you are. Your success is based on what you can see sheep hunting. It's not how good you can call a moose in or, or like, you know, tracking elk or something like that. You literally like, if that's, that's your lifeline, even a rifle, like it, you can have a 30 out six with an eight power scope and be very successful sheep hunting. If you've got a, a, a giant, you know, Zeiss, spotting scope because that's all you really need so um. okay so here's a question for you so that's exactly what i do have i've got the zeiss harpy at 95 millimeter yeah uh, I, I affectionately refer to it as the eye of god um, <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> now for binos i've got the zeiss victory 10 by 42s yeah 
And I also have my Swaro 15 power SLCs that I use for coups. Because I'm a moron, I was like, I could just bring both. If which of those two would you take? I think the Zeiss are slightly better quality, mm-hmm. but that the 15s are so nice for that kind of mid-range glassing where it's a little yeah. too par for binos. And I'd like to hear your thoughts on that. Are you uh I carried 15s on my chest for years and I might end up going back to carrying 15s on my chest again. Yeah. Um, I would definitely, obviously would not take both, but if you're going to, if you're planning on, this is kind of one of those questions where are you going to be glassing off a tripod? hundred percent. Binos. hundred percent. Okay. So yeah, I would take the 15s. You're not going to regret it. Okay. I would leave the tens. Uh, I always, like right now I don't have an extra range finder. I have my tens in my, like I have a range finding pair of binos. So okay. uh, that's, I always just carry tens and that's why I have the BTX. Cause that's what, if I'm going to sit down and glass off a tripod, I use the BTX. Okay. I, and so, but for you, that would be ideal. I would say just leave the tens at home, take the fifteens. Um, yeah. You'd be money. Okay. Be money. I like it. I do. And I can look through those fifteens. Oh yeah. And they just, that extra five power is a big deal, man. Yeah. And it is especially stone sheep hunting because doll sheep, it's different. Uh, Doll sheep are white on a green hillside. Like you don't even need, and they don't go to like, they don't hide. There's nothing to hide. Those stone sheep will get in there with the elk, you know? And so you need some glass that, you know, especially if you're sitting down, you you don't want to miss too much. So, yeah. Okay. So, so while we're on, why don't I real quick, I'll run you through just like general gear setup. Yeah. So I'm going to take a Hilleberg Nyack, okay. um, a big Agnes Q core sleeping pad. I run a down quilt. Okay. Now so I get it. I've been in wet BC before. I've had really good luck with this particular quilt. I've done elk hunting with mm-hmm. it before. And I think even if we have a couple of days of rain, I don't see it raining the entire time. So I realize that's a little bit of a risk factor, but for the weight, I'm willing to kind of run that risk. Um, I'm going to take my lighter jet bowl. I took my MSR reactor goat hunting this winter, and I just don't mm-hmm. think it's necessary for a mid-August hunt. And my jet boil is like a full half pound lighter yeah. out of the four years, and it, it's never failed me now. So yeah. I think it's a good opportunity to save a little bit of weight. I'm going to run those La Sportiva boots. Um, that we've gone back and forth on Instagram a couple right. times. Yeah. The, the kind of big hardcore ones. Mm-hmm. I love those. They're my kind of go-to for everything. Now, camo is the same old, same old, going to run Sitka gear. They sent me their new dew point um, rain system. So I'm kind of stoked to try that out this year because yeah. it's pretty light. Um, food. I, I've got it down to about 2.2 pounds a day for 34 to 3,500 calories. And that's, you know, I'm a pretty nerdy guy and that's about the best I can do. Um, trying to think of, I'm running a 300 wind mag and I'm shooting those uh, Hornady precision hunter ELDX 200 grain um, oh. out of a Tika 300 wind mag. And I got a vortex Viper PST gen two uh, 15 power scope. Uh, that's a good setup. I'm pretty happy with it, man. I was, I can hit four inch steel at 400 all day. You don't, I, I like, I like 16 power scopes. I don't anything more than a 16 power scope. You're just, you're, 
we shoot we shoot thousand yard stuff all the time with 16 power so it's it's oh, fine sure. i mean i there's a difference in target there there's a there's a hard deal uh when you get into this like shooter and hunter and there's like this like perfect media in between of like being a shooter and a hunter and some guys are on way to you know far ends of both sides and um i that's that's a good setup you're, you're going to be able to kill stuff and um the question is jay and this is where uh my sheep hunting has kind of led i always think of things as a, as guiding you know i have to carry twice as much stuff as sure um and and be have just a lot more safety stuff but the quantity is now kind of my biggest thing is like um i only bring and i don't know what your quantity is so like now i won't I will bring only one pair of pants, like period. Sure. That's it. Yep. So, and a pair of rain pants, obviously I have some puffies that are awesome. So I have like three pairs of pants that you can use and same with shirts. You actually need to, for me, you need a couple shirts, um, hoodies. What kind of shirts are you running? What kind of base layer? What, what's that looking yeah, like? Yeah. And there's a couple things that are still up to grabs. You're totally hitting where I've, where I'm going, even on my goat hunt this year. I mean, I'm basically what I wear in and then yes. maybe two to three more pieces that will allow me to layer up or layer down. So mm-hmm. I'm going to run the Sitka mountain pants for yep. bottoms and I won't even bring long johns for a hunt like this because if I want some heat, I 99% of the time I sleep in my pants in yes. my yep. uh, down quilt. Plus yep. if I'm a little bit wet, it dries me out overnight yep. socks and pants almost every night. Um, and then for the upper, and this is where I'm still kind of up in the air. So I have a Sitka Core lightweight hoodie and a Sitka Core heavyweight hoodie. So that's a nice like combo layering option that I could just bring. The lightweight is really lightweight. Um, yeah. And it could be pretty chilly still in August where we're going. Like it's mm-hmm. known to dump snow sometimes. So probably bring those two. And then I really fell in love with the Sitka Kelvin active jacket. Yes. My goat hunt. It's kind of yeah. like a puffy, but also kind of like a soft shell. And I yeah. found it was a little more when I put my stone glacier puffy on, if I do anything, but sit down, I start sweating like a pig. Yeah. Like it is not, it's great around camp, but it's not real functional for, for if it gets a little chilly and you just want to layer up. Right. So I'll probably leave the puffy and bring my Kelvin active jacket. And then I'll also have my rain jacket. So if yes. it's like, Real cold, I could just put the rain jacket on top of the Kelvin active jacket. Now I've got my wind stop, yeah. and then I've got a couple layers on underneath yeah. that. The only other – so that's basically my my setup. Two pairs of pants, and I keep bringing my puffies and puffy pants and not wearing them. So, so, yeah. It's tough because we will be glassing a lot in the mornings. So it's like – and my Stone Glacier puffy pants are pretty light. Like I think they're sub a pound. They might be 11 yeah, ounces. Yeah, yeah. So let's say that's a possible, a a possible bring. But other than that, the mountain pants, the rain pants up top, lightweight hoodie, heavyweight hoodie, Kelvin active jacket and the rain jacket. The only piece that's debatable right now is like a really heavy puffy Mm -hmm. because they have had, I've got that Sitka windstopper hoodie, which is kind of like a sleeping bag jacket. It's super warm, but they've had some crazy weather in August, the last two years in a row, people have been shut down from sheep hunts because it snowed so hard. So part of me is like, that's one of the pieces that you could bring it, 
And if you land at the strip and you're looking around and it's like, I'm not going to fucking need this. Stick it in a dry bag and leave it at the strip. Yeah. Anyways, that's about that's about it for clothes as far as yeah, I, no, I, I like that setup. I think the one sheep hunting is kind of a funny deal because you literally go from zero to a hundred. Like you're not really, there's not a whole lot of in between. You're either crushing mountains or you're sitting still. Right. Like there's not a lot. You're like, that's, that is sheep hunting. You are burning like thousands of calories or you're like sitting on some sheep for days at a time. So the one, the one thing that I really have grown to like, and I, and I like what you're going with. I I'm like, I'm really protective. Like I, I don't sleep very warm. Like I have like really warm stuff. Um, so hooded, like puffy jackets are like, that's my, you know, I, I don't mess around. I go biggest hoodie, puffy rain jacket, but I like that in between. I think I would leave one, either your heavyweight Sitka or your midweight that, uh, Kelvin active, maybe think about leaving one of those at when the time comes at, at the strip because those probably have the same properties. Um, the, the one thing that I think you might want to look at is like a Merino shirt, like a t-shirt okay. just to okay. crop. Like I sweat profuse. I think you do too. You sweat a lot. Yeah, okay. So, like a pig. So hiking a shirt, hiking a t-shirt. I, I started doing that and it saved the rest. So when you get to the top of a mountain, you, you can literally wring out your shirt, but you leave it out, you let it dry. And then you put dry stuff on immediately and hang out in glass and you are, it will change your game. I like this. Um, be, I know guys back in the day, they would hike in underwear. They would wear like whitey tighties and hike up and not sure. so they wouldn't mess with their clothes. This is like, right. back, you know, sheep hunters in the old days. Um, but that same kind of mindset and it's really helped me a lot. Uh, this last couple of years of sheep hunting is like, you know, you're going to torch some clothes, especially if it rains. Right. So if you guys got to hike in out of thick stuff. Yep. Yep. That's rain, exactly what's going on. And you've got brush and crap. Keep all your nice stuff in a dry bag. Don't even touch it. You're going to be wet and cold and burning thousands of calories. But when you get to the top, you take all that crap off, wait for the right opportunity, let it dry. And you'll just be, you'll be toasty, man. It's that's the ticket for me. I so. like that, man. And I've got a couple of older of uh, those first light Merino perfect. like base layers. Yeah. And they're kind of like, they're almost like too thin now, but they're perfect yeah. for what you're talking about because yeah. they weigh next to nothing because they're three yeah. years old and like, and, and, and almost rubbed raw, but yeah. um, they'll dry super fast and just give you that layer for hiking. That's a good tip. I like that one. So let's talk about, because one of the things I'm really interested in is like, you know, hunting a nocturnal animal is kind of shit because you're like up at the crack of dawn and you're either going to catch them as the sun is coming up or catch them as the sun is going down. And it's not a lot you can do. Even elk hunting in the rut is the same kind of thing. Right. Sheep don't behave like that. So no. what's your typical like schedule? Obviously, you're just going to respond to things as they happen. But how do things tend to play out as far as the hours of the day go on a sheep hunt for you? Well, you know, being up further north, too, is that the, the days are long in August. Yeah. You know, so my mindset and, and not everybody's like this. My mindset is uh, it, really long days is get enough sleep. So what you lack in calories, make sure you get it in sleep because that will help you last 10 days, eight days. Guys, guys go too hard and they break by day five because they don't understand it's a marathon. Whether you kill a sheep first day or not, you have to prepare for that long marathon type hunt where 
your body, it's going to take you three days to adjust the caloric deficits. I mean, it really is your body. And I've noticed by day three, my body is running on such a proficient level that I don't need the calories that I did when I was hanging out, watching Netflix two weeks ago. You know, like I just, my, I, I don't, you don't get hungry. You supplement with like coffee and chewing gum. And all of a sudden you're like, dude, I'm not even hungry. And I'm crushing these mountains. And that's the biggest thing to me is sleep. So it isn't like an elk where you're like up at 3am calling them and doing whatever. To me, it's more of how can I hunt the best for the longest amount of time? So that may mean 12 hours of sleep and 12 hours of hunting, especially if you're up on a mountain too. If you know, you're going to have to grind it and, and hike, you know, the next day, get sleep where you're like down low and you're not seeing any sheep. And we're like, Hey, tomorrow we've got to go to that next range. That's the night where you're like, okay, get your extra two hours of sleep, recover and and do it right. And that's, that's my mindset. And that's how I try to get my hunters to kind of follow that mindset too, is that, look, we're not going to be, we're going to push it, but we're going to make sure that we're having, we're doing it right. And we can last. So that makes so much sense. And I've never really articulated it before, but there's two takeaways that line up exactly. I always go too hard on the first day. Mm-hmm. And this goat hunt was the first year I was able, and it took everything I had, man. It was like, I still had daylight. I'm like, no, you're going to stop, man. Yeah. You're going to set up camp because otherwise you're going to burn yourself out and it's going to take you three or four days to recover. And the yeah. other thing is I've always found it's like day three is when I hit my stride. Mm-hmm. doesn't matter how well trained I am going into a hunt. It's not until day three when I'm like, everything feels fluid. Like I yeah. can just go and I yeah. don't run out of gas going up the hills. Like I don't get that same burning and the same thing with the food, man, like that, that deep hunger, you almost yeah. hunt past the hunger. Like you get to kind of a, a different spot. That makes a lot of sense. So yeah. what do you got for like glassing techniques? Like obviously doll sheep are different than stone sheep, but they're both thin horn sheep. I'm sure there's behavioral characteristics. They mm-hmm. shape St- stones do tend to be more in the timber than, than doll, but like in general, I'm sure there's similarities what's your what's your strategy or 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 kind of how do you tend to think about glassing for sheep in general so other than just the basic um you know doing your basic glassing patterns or you know grid searching it the biggest thing with sheep i don't care what it is and it's i know it's the same for stones just you have to stay relentless you'll stare at an empty mountain for three days or however long and that sheep can come over that ridge so many times I, I've had to convince hunters. I'm like, listen, we're going to burn so much, so many days to get over to that mountain. Well, let's wait, let the sheep come to us because we don't see them yet, but they may be feeding on that grassy, like South facing green patch. And that's what they do. So the biggest thing with sheep is just not giving up mentally, <laughs> knowing that at any given time, a ram can come over a, a ridgeline or, or appear at any moment because that's what they, that's how they do it. They're, they're not like they are, they stick to certain areas, but man, they get moving and they, they'll just roll ridges. And you'll think, I mean, I've had a number of times where I'm like, dang, dude, those rams just left the country. They walk like, you know, two ranges out and you can barely see them. And the next day they'll be back. And, and you just don't know until you know their habits, you don't know their habits, you know? And, it, right. and that's kind of how I, I looked at it. Last sheep we killed, we watched them for like five days and we realized, hey, they're going to stick around this area, but they kind of like to drop down and, and feed on this really certain grass. And then they go back up. So we, we kind of 
you know, had to stay on it. So it's really just a matter of uh, just being relentless, being consistent, being diligent and making sure somebody's watching at all times because they can really appear on the, appear on the skyline any given moment. So that's my main, my main takeaway from sheep hunting. What are some things that you find people come consistently unprepared for? Well, that kind of, it does range uh, depending on the, the age of hunters. Cause I'll have guys that are, that are pretty old come out too. I would say the most guys are not ready to, they're not ready to go and push it for as long as it actually, like for in the times that you need sheep hunting, like sheep hunting, it starts very hard because you got to get out into the Alpine. The, that mental preparation that goes beyond doing 15 minutes on the elliptical or whatever, there is a certain level of burn that you're going to experience that is okay. You are not going to die. But that's what I feel like a lot of guys come in and they're like, oh yeah, I've been on tough hunts. And even in Arizona, you know, you get guys like, hey man, I've done elk, I'm an elk hunter and, you know, I packed out this and that. I'm like, okay, take the worst elk pack out you've ever had. And, and now that's everyday sheep hunting every single day where you're like, oh man, it took me two weeks to recover. Now, like I said, some days you get up in the Alpine and you're hanging out for three days, camping, watching sheep. So that's great. You're, you're restoring, you're, you're getting rest and all that. But I think it's uh, people doubt the level that they can go. They can doubt, they doubt how hard you're, you just have to convince yourself. You're not going to die. You're wet and cold and hungry. You're, you're really not. Um, and so that's kind of the mindset that, that a lot of guys fail to bring. And really it does come down to a mindset is that it's going to suck, but it's okay. Like you're, you're going to make it, you're going to survive. As far as gear goes, a lot of guys bring way too much crap um, Mm. and wrong material. That's, I mean, the the bottom line, they'll, they'll bring crap, they'll bring, um, you know, what you'd expect some kind of cotton polyester blends and stuff that just, you know, um, all, all the, all the general stuff that I know you've talked about new boots and crap like that. You're just like, yeah. Yeah. you're better to bring your, your hiking, you know, your, your tennis shoes than, than brand new boots. So, so back to the, to the kind of mental component, have you found any ways to help prepare for this? Like, are there any particular physical activities or mental activities like that you find can be beneficial for people to do? Um, I, what I like in it, I, I'm, I have a, an advantage. I live right next to like these mountains and I, I do a lot of trail running and, and just get, I just crush myself with elevation runs, but guys that live in lower elevations and they don't have that access. The thing that I like the best that can mimic new experiences with hiking is Stairmaster. So okay. it's, it's the one piece of equipment that guys are like, I live in Florida. Like I can't do this. I'm like, Dude, you can find a stairmaster because I've been on a stairmaster. I'm like, that actually feels like the deep burn that feels like walking through tundra and into the alpine uh, for hours and hours and hours. And it's just knowing that like you've experienced that, so your legs are not going to quit. You know, it's just getting it's getting your legs that level. Um, resting is a huge thing too, Jay. I mean, you touched on it with your goat hunt, but you know, not everybody's going to come in. You, you three guys are not going to all come in on the same wavelength, you know, as right. far as fitness goes and it just overall. 
and making sure guys are rested and, and in the same, like that first burst, you know, three or four hours hiking, take a rest, make sure and rest, take an hour and, and make sure and just draw it out so that you guys can all be uh, at the, at your peak when you need to be. That's my biggest thing. Cause I'll take Packers out. So I'll take kids. It'll be me and a hunter and maybe another kid or two that are learning to be a guide. And I have to kind of manage, you know, this kid's 20 years old. He's not carrying much. This 65 year old's not carrying much, you know, and trying to make sure everybody's on the same page and, and can last. So that's something to keep in mind, not trying to be a tough guy and be like, Oh, you know, you, let's go, let's go. Well, you know, you guys are hunting together. So um, making sure you guys are all good and being honest with each other, like hot spots will ruin a hunt. Like don't, I have had a lot of hunts ruined by um, guys getting their feet just torched feet or everything. So if somebody's like, Hey man, my, you know, my boots kind of rubbing and you're, you know, stop immediately right there. Address the issue. Uh, I don't like moleskin. Like I there's, there's actually, I'm going to go into like deep foot care here because well, it's, do it. Okay. So moleskin's garbage. Um, there are two things. Uh, duct tape is great. Duct tape is really awesome. So I'll duct tape my heels or places that I know rub before the hunt even starts. Just making sure you get a good seal. So use your Zeiss lens wipes or alcohol. Yeah. Get a good seal on that duct tape. It'll last for three or four days. Um, Luco tape is really good too. Luco tape doesn't come off for a couple of weeks. The problem with Luco tape is it can be abrasive and tear up your socks. And it okay. just has an abrasive. Duct tape is slick in it. You just want to avoid that. The key to saving a hunt though, if you get a rub, uh, a rub spot or even a blister, um, super glue... And a Ziploc bag or like anything that like is plastic membrane, you can cut a little piece of Ziploc super glue and create new skin that will save your foot. Dropping bombs, man. It saved a couple hunts because you have guys that literally are bleeding and it'll hurt for a second, obviously super glue, but you super glue a Ziploc baggie or, you know, that's kind of material and you get that good seal, dude, it's over. I mean, you can roll, you can roll. It's not going to, it's not going to, you know, and you can even duct tape over that or duct tape another layer of super glue and duct tape, but keeping that abrasion down and that pain down and, and that's it, man. Those are the things that like, I'm really serious about feet because my feet sweat so much that I have to be very, uh, you know, diligent on it is, Definitely having a big a sock regimen. Like we didn't touch on socks when you talked about gear, but I would say have one pair of bo- like underwear and have five pairs of socks. Bring five, huh. like, just because you can keep a sock rotation and keep your feet dry and get, keep your boots dry. So like by you getting dry socks on, it's actually drying out your boots too if, if they get wet. So that's just kind of some stuff right there that has really saved me along the way. Is like if I'm going to bring – you know, the couple little things that can save a hunt are like little duct tape on your water bottle, a little bit of super glue, those kinds of things. So I love it. I'll throw in one more too. Don't take off your boots at night until your boots are dry. Yeah. I find people roll into camp with wet boots and they take them off. And it's like, there's yeah. no heat source inside. It's going to be kind of moist at night. The, the boots yeah. are not going to dry out at all. If you no. just force yourself to wear those boots for the three or four hours at night at camp, your body heat will force that moisture out through the boot. You can watch them. Like you watch the dryness kind of creep up the boot, right? Um, that was a big one for me, recognizing. Yeah. And I do that with everything. I do that with my clothes. Like when I get to camp, I if it's my, if it's like, 
I like your idea of the second shirt, but if I don't have that, I don't take off any of my internal clothes right, right. until it's, it's dry. Because yep. as soon as I take it off my body, there's no more heat and it's nope. just going to sit there clammy. I was climbing in on my goat hunt. I was climbing into my synthetic Kafaru bag, mm-hmm. soaking wet, yep. like from sweat, from walking around all day. Like you could have run me out. And then slowly by one o'clock in the morning, I would be down to like my thin layer and long johns. And yeah. I would just slowly take as they dried out and they would right. be like crunchy dry. Like, and they would slowly just take things off, fold them up, stick them in a dry bag. And then I'd wake up to like nice dry clothes. Yep. Every, but you just got to, and it sucks getting in that sleeping bag. It's like clammy and it feels yeah. disgusting, but you just got to, and that's the benefit of a synthetic bag. Yes. If, if somebody was newer to hunting and going on the hunt I'm going on, I would say take a synthetic bag. Because yeah. it's one last line of defense that if shit hits the fan, no matter what the situation, you're going to be able to climb into that bag and dry yourself out from the inside out. And you're, right. you don't have that with the down bag. Yeah, I practice that specifically, Jay. I, I wear my clothes 100% of the time. I never take them off. I, I climb into my, my synthetic. I have a Wiggies, okay. a synthetic Wiggies, and I climb in there wet and it sucks. And, but absolutely, I'm hundred percent behind that. I don't like to like recommend that because people can do that. And then like, I don't want to be responsible for somebody freezing to death, yeah. but make sure you, you know, your tolerances, but that's, yeah. that is hugely important. Um, gloves are a big deal too. Like, um, we didn't touch on gloves much, but like, I know Sitka and Kuyu, they make like leather based gloves, leather based gloves are awesome because they'll dry out. Okay. If you get them wet, just leave them on. They will dry out. And they're really awesome. And they have a lot of good uh, insulation qualities uh, when you're dealing with obviously glass or even with fire jet boil or that kind of stuff too. So now you mentioned a Wiggy sleeping bag and the one piece of gear I got turned on to this year when I went on my elk hunt was the Wiggy's waders. Mm-hmm. Um, they're like 11 ounces, but these backcountry waders. Is there any kind of like, um, like weird pieces of gear like that, that you wouldn't expect were like super beneficial, but it's something that over the years you found like came in handy time and time again. Yeah. There's, you know, a couple things, um, that I I just, I mean, there's some basic equipment. I mean, I, I, you fall in love with what you, you know, end up using a lot. Um, I love, a foam sleeping pad. So okay. that I am a hundred percent sold on foam sleeping pads because now foam work. alone or foam underneath an inflatable. No, just foam. Okay. Just foam. Um, they, they're really bulky, but they weigh nothing. And here's what happens every single hunt. They end up being literally a place for my hunter to sit because yeah. I take my, I, we have camp, right? So you spike out, you have camp. I will put my foam pad. I'll bring my sleep, my little foam sleeping bag. It's like a Z rest or whatever you want to call it. Yep, you know, yep. I bring it everywhere with me. We'll yep. sit down, we'll have lunch and our butt will be dry and, and warm because even when you're sitting with, uh, you know, rain pants on, on wet area, wet ground, it's still cold. It's still sucking, sucking the, the heat, which ends up being calories from your body. And that's a huge piece of equipment that like, I won't go anywhere without, uh, I just had, and it's not like I've had like nightmare, like failures on, on blow up stuff. I just don't, you can't put them on a rock on sharp no. rock and sit on them. No. And that's kind of the, the caveat. Like that's, that's where it kind of mixes with me is like, I have to have one of those because 
I need to keep my hunter comfortable 100% of the time. And so that like, I'm, my mindset is kind of guiding always. So it's like, how can I keep him mentally in this game? And so that, just little things like that, that, you know, I may not offer that to him until day three though. Right. You know, right. It depends on the morale. Like, yeah. you know, so if he, if, if the hunt needs a boost, we'll do that. Um, other than that, that's, that's kind of my main piece of gear that guys go either way on. Um, so, no, see, I love this. So what happened when I was preparing for the goat hunt this year, somebody told me to take a Z rest because I've always carried the little square one, the ZC, yeah. just for a glassing pad. And yeah. they're like, no, buy the full one and cut it down to three quarter length because Ooh. that's what you're going to have to lay in the snow to shoot. Um, oh, and you yeah. might have to lay there for an hour and you right. need something to lay on. And I found because I already had a winter blow up pad, I would put the three quarter one underneath when I slept. And every morning when I woke up, I would just pull it out from underneath my pad, fold it up, strap it to the back. You don't even yeah. got to put it in the backpack because it's that closed cell foam and the right. water would just slide right off of it. And anytime I stopped and dude, it weighs like a couple of ounces. And I've already yeah. thought to myself for this year, it's like, I'm bringing that because it's really just a Z seat on steroids that you're yeah. paying a couple more ounces for. But I found it was so much more versatile yeah. and like the extra padding and the extra R value going underneath. Right. And it's yeah. also protecting your inflatable. Um, a little bit more. That was very, the other yeah. counterintuitive thing, I don't know what the condensation has been like on your hunts up north. It's terrible here. A guy told me to bring a blue kitchen sponge. Mm. When you wake up in the morning, you just keep it right beside you. And before you like sit up and cause your tent to fucking rain all over you, yeah, you just wipe the walls and squeeze it outside the door. Dude, that's clutch. Dude, that's blew my mind. And you're, you end up squeezing out like a half a liter of water Dude. and you just rub it. And it's like, literally like it weighs nothing, six inches by four inches. Yeah. And you just wipe it off and it's, and then you sit up and nothing comes down on your sleeping bag. That was a, that was a, that's a clutch. Yeah. Shit. I'm, I'm going to try that. That, that is, I, I like that. Yeah. yeah. That the, was yours. Here's yeah. Your for the, day. The, the one thing too, that I will say about air mattresses, air blow up, whatever you want to call them, Big Agnes, Q-Core, all that stuff, um, is they're way more comfortable. Yeah. You can sleep on uneven ground. Like for my hunters, I, I'm like, you know, these guys are six years old that that come out. I, I'd rather have them have an air mattress and have yeah. me have something that will not fail because I can sleep on the ground if need be. If right. his fails, I'll give him mine and I'll figure it out. But it, it is, it, you know, sleeping and rest is a very important part of, of sheep hunting. And when you're on uneven ground, those air mattresses come in really handy to kind of, you know, break up the rocks or whatever terrain that you're trying to, you know, get that little, your footprint on. So something that took me a while to learn too, was like, that's not an area to cut ounces. I used yeah. to take like, dude, I weigh 255 right now. Yeah. And I used to take the lightest, you know, kind of smallest pad I could, which yeah. is a Thermarest NeoAir X-Lite for most yeah, I know people. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it was only last year I moved up to the Q-Core uh, SLX from Big Agnes. Probably weighs an extra half pound, which is not insignificant when yeah. you're talking about a hunt. I sleep so much better, man. And it's yeah. just like, I think if anything, I try to tell people, like, just think about the weight that you're cutting. Because some weight is yes. worth cutting and yeah. some weight isn't. And it's like a, a pad is one of those things that I'm just not going to compromise on. I mean, it, because like you said, the quality of, and I don't sleep good I don't get freaked out, but like, I just toss and turn all night. I always yeah. have in the mountains. Yeah. Um, 
So anything that I can do to minimize that, even if it means carrying, you know, an extra half a pound or whatever, I think it's totally worth it in the long run because it's all going to affect your performance the next day. It is. Yeah. At the end of the day, it is a fitness performance based hunt. I mean, that's what it is. And, and you don't have guys that are competing um, in the Olympics or, or big competitions that, um, you know, they're very concerned about sleep. I mean, they're very concerned about rest and, and that kind of stuff. Yeah. So, I mean, that's, that's really what you're undergoing is, is it's, it's a fitness type test and uh, longevity, long, you know, long days, long nights. So I, I like that. And that's my, you know, I just get, I cringe when I see some guys talk about sheep hunting and they're cutting this and they're cutting that. And I'm like, you know, just like with, with optics or whatever, you're like, right. dude, like, okay, take a 45 power scope out there. Good. Like thumbs up emoji, like go for it, dude. Like your whole hunt is based on whether you can see the animal, like, and, yeah. and what we're talking about with you specifically, cause it's the same thing is legality. Yeah. Like, I, you need, you want to see, you want to have so you want to be very, very sure. You want to be a hundred percent sure when you pull the trigger, it's, it's, you're going to take that home and you're not going to get arrested. And so that may mean you don't have to like bump a bunch of sheep by getting 400 yards from them and trying to see them with some crappy optic, like those kinds of things, sleep. You, you can't play games with that foot care. You can't play games with that. And the optics, you can't play a game with that. I will sneak up with a with an open sighted, like the eight millimeter Mauser from World War II. I the gun means nothing to me. Whether or not I can kill the sheep, that's what really means the most to me. So um, that's my mindset. Is like you know, it's having a good gun is is a hundred percent important. But if it's good gun or good optics, just thinking you know, it's all about what you can see. Okay, so this is, I want to be cognizant of your time. So we're going to wrap it up here, but there's one last topic because you just brought it up and it mm. it begs some further discussion. I did just do a whole podcast with Clay on aging. So we don't have to get yeah. crazy extensive, yeah. but you being a guide specifically, I would think it's even worse because it's like, you're not just taking responsibility for your own actions. Now you got to take responsibility for somebody else's. So maybe talk a little bit about A, how do you deal with that? And yeah. what are some things that, that are like, are just full blown confidence givers. Like what are you wanting to see before you are 100% confident that they can take that shot or, or things that you see that it's like, now nah, that's a warning bell. It's got these other three things, but that one thing, I don't like the looks of that. We're going to take a pass. Yeah, that's it's, it is a, a big, big deal. Um, it's the same way. Where, what are you guys just for, so I know you're seven eights or you're, no, you're it's, it has it's, to it's, break the nose. It has to break the nose. Okay. So that's or be eight years. Okay. Eight or uh, breaking the nose or eight years. That's yeah. your qualifications. Okay. And, and all these are so ambiguous anyway, yeah. uh, it, it, when it really comes down to it. So it's similar to what we're dealing with. We, we have an eight year uh, minimum and it's got to be a three sixty. So it's got to break. It's, it's, it's got to come above the nose and actually break the plane of where the, where the horn starts at the base. So anyway, um, Honestly, what it comes down to is seeing a bunch of sublegal rams, ah. uh, seeing a lot of rams, seeing a lot of sheep. I, you'll have conversations, you and your buddies, when you're out there and you see, hopefully you'll find a bunch of rams and you'll have this, this, these discussions where you're like, I don't know, maybe that I don't, you know, and you'll, you'll keep talking about it. Keep talking about it. My biggest piece of advice is, and what I've noticed is walk away. <laughs> 
well, just walk away. Just forget like there are sheep that are on the bubble and close and they may be legal and they may, they're just kind of flirting with it, but it's got to, it has to give you confidence. And that just comes from seeing a lot of sheep, but like I'll see sheep from two miles away. I'm like, yeah, he's good. I don't even need what you want to see first, obviously is heaviness, you know, mature. Like if you're seeing sheep from a long ways away, which most of the time you are, you want to see bases. Okay. So good bases. If you see good, heavy bases, you're, and then they're too far away to actually see the Ram that will give you incentive to go look at it. If you're not seeing heavy bases, forget about them. Just don't even just keep, stay where you're at. Um, if, if you're not seeing, um, it can be so hard. What, what I prefer to do, if I'm not seeing the right angle or whatever, what we need to get a little closer, um, definitely phone scope it. I can't tell you how many times that I, I hunters will be asking me and, and all this kind of stuff. And they'll be, you know, talking to me a lot. And all I'm doing is I'm, I wait for the right angle. I press record and he's like, he's giving it to me right now. This is the angle where I can define his legality. And then I, later on, I blow it up, you know, I get on my phone and I really make, make time and, and see what he's got because your mind can play games with you. Did I see it? Did I not? Did I see that break of the nose or did I not? Did And you're like, man, I thought I saw it. And you'll talk to your buddies who may, you know, like my hunters, same idea. Oh, he was good. He's good. We need like, no, I, I, I know he's not good or I know he's good for sure. So that's just one of those things where to me, phone scoping gives you that extra confidence to pull the trigger because you've seen it, you slowed it down. You know, your mind's not playing games with you. Um, and you know, when you have to walk away from sheep, you're like, it's, it's a very tough thing because you, you're like, dude, these Rams are just not good. We need to go find another Ram. It's a tough thing to do. It's a tough thing to do when you have two guys or one guy that really is believing something else. So it, or that wants to just stay in weight or he's sore. Um, Cause you'll run into that where you're like, look, like we got to lead these Rams and we got to go find other ones. And it's going to take all that extra effort, that extra um, push. So those are things to kind of look out for. I, I would say as a hunter, there's like this thing where you have, and you've seen enough animals, Jay, where you're like, you just know he's big, you know, yeah. where you can, you can just see an animal and you're like, he's big. Like I didn't have to hunt guiding brown bears was this weird thing. Cause brown bears are so big, but you're like, Everybody always said it's the same thing. Like, oh, you'll know when he's big. Well, yeah, you know when they're big. You know, when you see these rams, you're like, oh, dude, yeah, like that's the ram that I've seen in a thousand pictures on Instagram. Like that gave me that look. He's giving me that look where, you know, I want to get closer. I want to make sure, obviously, but don't try to make something that it's not because sheep hunting, you have this like evil time that is like, all you're doing is sitting in on this mountain and you could be watching the same sheep for like seven hours and your mind starts giving you, you know, mirage full curl looks. And right. so that's that I won't say anything more, but just use that, use a couple different ways to, to uh, help yourself out phone scope. What, what's the first reaction you got when you saw the Ram other than like, I'm excited. I just saw some sheep. Yep. Um, and also just obviously what your buddies say, but, what it needs to give you that right look. So that's basically it. That's awesome. Okay. 
I'm going to put all your stuff in the show notes, but maybe close it out. If people are looking to go to AZ or AK or whatever, like where can people find you? Where can they follow you? And I remember giving you shit the first year I came down about how <laughs> terrible your social media game was. Yeah. And I need to give you credit because it has gotten substantially <laughs> better. Like you're active, you're engaged. I get lots of pictures. Yeah. So let people know where they can find you and kind of follow you or hit you up if they're looking to hunt. Yeah, I, I have an Instagram. Uh, it's AZ Trophy Outfitters underscore DCH, which is stands for Drop Camp Hunts. Um, and ArizonaTrophyOutfitters.com is my website that you can always hit me up on. Um, I, I have a YouTube channel as well. It's ATO uh, uh, Vertical Line. What do you call that, Jay? What's the vertical line called? Oh, that's a really good question. I use it all the time. I know what the little squiggly one's called a tilde. But yeah. I don't know what the vertical line's called. It's it a up. line space DCA. So ATO DCH is my YouTube, which I throw a bunch of stuff on. But yeah, um, that's it. That's you can hit me up anytime. Um, I give my my you know my chosen clients my inreach number when I'm hunting. No, I no, I don't give anybody my inreach number. Um, I'll be I'll be in inreach in a couple of weeks out bear hunting. But um, that's another thing too that you never. I'm sure you've talked on a bunch, but inreaches are are really helpful. Yeah, to man. send emojis to your wives and girlfriends and whatever. So yeah, I have to give my wife shit. Like she doesn't even reply anymore. Like she could <laughs> care less. And I'm like, I'm looking for a little emotional support. Yeah, it's seriously. like day seven. I'm alone. I probably just cried. I like, <laughs> yeah. I could use like, oh, how you doing, hun? And it's just like I get fucking. I'm still alive is what I'll text and just radio <laughs> silence. I'm like, did she get it? Like I'm just like, uh, fuck. Like I get it. It's cool. She's. I like that my wife is not like crazy needy and she doesn't mind and I yes. go away, but I was like a little bit of concern yeah. <laughs> wouldn't be good, you know? Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm right there with you. That's awesome, man. All yeah. right, brother. I want to thank you for your time today. That was, that was super beneficial. And um, what we'll have to do is like a wrap up um, maybe later in the fall, once you get back and then we'll have a bear season and sheep season under your belt. We'll get you back on and see how your seasons kind of went. That'd be awesome. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That'd be great. Every time you go out hunting, you learn more stuff, you know, you learn more things. And so it's great. It's great to do it. Great to share and have a community that people can benefit from. And it's great, man. Thanks for having me on Jay. My pleasure. All right. Thanks brother. Be well. Yeah. Take it easy.